0: John 8 is our main text this morning, page 895 in the Blue Bible. Then we'll flip back and read a few verses from John chapter 1, and then Exodus chapter 3, which is actually where we're going to start. So let's stand together as we read God's Word, beginning with Moses' conversation with God in the desert, Exodus chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel... These are the people who are locked in prison in Egypt. And say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now let's turn to John chapter 1. The beginning of John's gospel as he unfolds the life of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then our primary text this morning, John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 48. The Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were say say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Beginnings. Beginnings are usually uh, important. Something new has happened. Uh, some, somebody's been born. Some, some marriage has happened. Some, something that you usually remember uh, year to year. We celebrate these beginnings with anniversaries or birthdays. Some of you are here yesterday to see the beginning of two people becoming one, Sam and Haley Holdsworth, joining together. And it was a beautiful beginning, and it's a beginning that they'll mark for themselves. you know, every year on December the 14th, they're going to remember that date as their beginning. If you ask me when CCC, Christ Community Church, began, I would say, well, it began in March of 2002. If you were to ask me, well, Paul, when did you begin? I would say May 31st. You need to be writing this down right now. I can see nobody's taking notes. May 31st, 1963, that was my beginning. So beginnings are important. Beginnings are marked off year after year. And my question this morning is, when was Jesus' beginning? We might immediately think of Matthew or Luke, where we read about the birth narratives that are often spoken about at this time of year. Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. This is Matthew saying, this is the beginning of Jesus His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, Mary was found to be with a child through the Holy Spirit. Or Luke chapter 2, Joseph went to Bethlehem to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came, the, the beginning of Jesus to be born, and she gave birth to her son. Yet if you turn to the Gospel of John, who's another writer of the life of Christ, you notice he starts his account of Jesus at a different point. If you would think of Matthew and Luke trying to shoot a movie, they they would be shooting a movie with the cameraman on the ground with all the events. Sometimes you see movies like that. You feel like you're in, in the movie. You're running alongside of the events and that's how Matthew and Luke do it they they place the angle of the camera so you're there at the these events but if you turn to John he has a different angle he 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 doesn't start at ground level he starts at at 30,000 feet in fact he he gets so high up he gets outside of time itself he places the camera at this super high altitude and he begins to to shoot this story about Jesus in a very different angle. And we experience this different angle in two places, John chapter 1 and John chapter 58. So in John chapter 1, we read the very first three words of John chapter 1, in the beginning. Now, immediately, what are you supposed to think? It's a a hyperlink. Genesis chapter 1. These are the first three words that that begin the Bible, in the beginning. And John is telling all the readers, in the beginning, and all these Jewish readers who are reading John, they go, oh, whatever he's going to talk about, it's a reference to something that happened before time actually began. In the beginning, in the beginning, Genesis, we discover that there was a God before anything began. God has always existed, even before time. And then John informs us of something that's really mind-blowing, and that Jesus was with God in the beginning, before time itself. And in fact, we read in these opening verses, all of creation was made through Jesus because Jesus is actually God with skin on. John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is the Word, and that Word became Flesh. So at ground level in Matthew and Luke, the the, the scene is shot as Jesus began two thousand years ago in Bethlehem in a in a stable. But from John's perspective, Jesus' beginning is is much farther back. I don't know if you're familiar with altitude sickness. You ever heard of this? You would know about it if you went hiking in Colorado or something like that. You would be aware that if you get up to certain altitudes, the oxygen is less available. So here in Wilmington, the, in the regular air, there's 21% oxygen. So that's the, the, the easiest way for us to breathe. And that percentage stays the same all the way up to 8,000 feet. So you don't really notice anything until you get to 8,000 feet. And at 8,000 feet, it really begins to drop rapidly And at 12,000 feet, it's only 13%. And you know what we call that? Thin air. That's thin air. Because there's just not enough oxygen for you to really get enough in your system in any one breath. And it causes you to have headaches. It can cause you to be dizzy. You talk about being dizzy. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is thin air. John just, he doesn't give us any chance to acclimate us. He just launches us up at 30,000 feet. He, he gets us up in the thinnest of air and, and our head begins to spin like, who's the word? And the word became flesh and the word was in the beginning. And, and this person created all things. All this dizzying information. And he carries us all the way to verse 18 in chapter 1. And then he brings us back down to sea level where you kind of catch your breath. And you go, okay, this, I can, I, this is normal now. I can breathe here. And then slowly over eight chapters, he brings you back up to chapter eight where we get into thin air again. And this time, John isn't telling you about Jesus's beginning. Jesus is telling you about Jesus's beginning. So this is Jesus's birth narrative. This is Jesus saying, here's when I began. So when we get to John chapter 8, you could see that we're already in the middle of a discussion. The Jews are answering Jesus, verse 48. Uh, There's been a long discussion through this chapter, and it's pretty tense. It's pretty heated. And there's this discussion between Jesus and the Jews that are in the temple. Remember, the temple's the highest point in Jerusalem. It's 35 acres So there's all kinds of people wandering around at this area. Jesus and his disciples are wandering around, and and people are gravitating towards them. and they have this pretty heated exchange here. And in the previous verses to 48, the Jewish crowd is saying, hey, we've gone on to Ancestry.com. We know who our father is. That's Father Abraham. We've done our homework. We can trace our lives back to this great biblical patriarch in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham and Jesus responds to that statement in verse 39 chapter 8 if you were related to Abraham then you would be doing the things Abraham did but you're not so you're not related to Abraham now try it's hard for us to appreciate this be like saying maybe you're not American or something Try, try to appreciate these people for 2,000 years have traced their family tree to Abraham. They're informing Jesus, hey, we're part of this whole group of descendants of Abraham. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, I've traced your family tree. It doesn't go back to Abraham, it goes back to the devil. Mic drop. Jesus missed the class on how to win friends and influence people. I mean, he could just say, well, no, you're not. That'd be one thing. But he's actually saying, no, you have another origin. And that origin is from the devil himself. Quite a difference in your family tree. So now we come to verse 48. Such a powerful, rich passage. That's where we are in this conversation, this argument. And I just want to point out three things. Really stunning thing. There's ten things to point out. I only have time to point out three. Stunning grace. Stunning hope. And a stunning, startling beginning. First grace. This, this really is mind-blowing to me. The, all of these things are mind-blowing, so I'm going to say that several times already. As you might imagine, when Jesus faced, traced their family tree back to the devil, uh, that didn't go, too well, go over too well with the listeners. And so you notice in verse 48, little line you want to underline, are we not right? Mm, mm. Now, you, you kind of read through that quickly. But I just want you to stop and notice this because it happens all the time in the Bible. Humanity informing Jesus of what's right. Hey, we hear you, Jesus, but guess who's right? I'm right. I'm right. I'm the starting point of all of that that I see. I see everything clearly, and Jesus. It's good that I'm here in this discussion so I can clear things up for you. Are we not right? I'm, I'm right. I, Jesus, I need to set you straight. I want you to know, Jesus, I define reality. Jesus, I define my identity. Now, this is critical really to hear. It's happening 2,000 years ago, but man, does it happen today. Whatever you may think about Jesus, you say, okay, he's God or he's valuable or he says some great things. But here, I get to define my reality. I get to define my identity. This happens all the time. Think about for our culture. We live in a time where you get to choose your own pronouns. Do you hear what that is? That's me saying, I'm defining who I am. I get to stand autonomously away from God, and I get to define reality, my reality. I get to define my identity. The same thing's happening right here. And the same thing happens right here in your heart. And then Jesus shows up, and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm in the light. You guys are all living in the darkness. And I alone see things. I alone get to define reality. I alone get to define your identity. And when Jesus shows up and says he gets to define everything, uh, we lash out. We, we claw back, hey, I'm not interested in somebody else defining my identity, somebody else defining my reality. So just that, that pushing us in some way causes us to lash out. This is exactly what the, the, these Jewish people in the temple do. Oh, you're a Samaritan. This is a racial slur. This is the, the worst kind of comment that you could say to a purely Jewish person. So they, res- they lash out, and then they, say- they follow up this racial slur with, you have a demon. You feel the heat of this conversation. Jesus, we get to define ourselves, and guess what? We get to define you. We know what's right about ourselves. We know what's right about you. And this is a big stumbling block for every, every human heart. Now, how would you respond to that? You're in this kind of heated argument. You're right. The the people are living in darkness, and they lash out at you, and they, they reach out for the worst kind of racial slur, and then say, you have a demon. What's your first reaction to that? Lash back. Right? And that, and that, what, that even just, you can feel it right now, can't you? Like, I wanna just explode back. This is, to me, stunning. Verse 51. Jesus, he clarifies in verse 49 and 50, but 51, truly, truly, amen and amen. He's looking at this crowd and he says, I say to you, I say to you, now who's he talking to? You. Who just used a racial slur against me. You who just called me a demon. I say to you. What do you think he's going to say? If anyone keeps my word. He'll never see death. Even you. That's amazing to me. He's standing there. Taking all this misinformation. And I don't know how he looked to these people. But he looks at all this anger, all this animosity, all this hatred. And he responds back with stunning grace. You, you, the worst person standing on the earth right now. You don't get judgment. You get grace. You, even you, you don't have to taste death. It's it's incredible. Who responds like this? If I were Jesus, I'd be like, Your father is the devil and you're going to hell, buddy, and I can't wait to see it. I mean, I'm sorry. That's not a good thing for a pastor to say. But isn't that what you feel like he's going to say? And he says the exact opposite thing. And it even catches you off guard. And you know something about the grace of God. And he comes and says, Even you, even you. And so Jesus stands in this temple, and he stands in this building today, stunningly handing out grace to you. No matter what you've called him, no matter what you've done, he comes with grace to say, even you, even you, you can come and have life. So stunning, stunning grace. Secondly, this stunning offer of hope, you will never see death. I mean, just consider the force and the shock of the statement. You, you will never see death. Notice their reaction. Now we know you have a demon. I mean, we were thinking you did, but now with that kind of statement. And who do you make yourself out to be? These people, they know death hunts down everyone. So Jesus' statement definitely makes him crazy. Ernest Becker is a Pulitzer Prize winning author and he wrote a book several years ago called the denial of death and this is what he writes about our culture the fear of death haunts the human animal like nothing else the fear of death haunts so we're not just hunted down by death ernest becker is saying we're haunted by it while we're alive It's the mainspring of every human activity, he goes on to say. Activity designed, listen to see if you think this is true. Our activity is designed largely to avoid the fatality of death. We're doing things, busyness, entertainment, to make sure we're not really thinking about death, to overcome it somehow just by denying that it exists, that it's the final destiny for all man. Becker's saying, yes, we're hunted down. It does happen, but while we're living, we're haunted by it, and we organize our lives around it so that we don't have to think about it. I listen to an NPR podcast occasionally and listened to one this past week uh, who uh, featured Marielle, Marielle, I think is her name, Heller. She's the one who produced the movie, about Mister Rogers' Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, some of you may have seen it. And so they're interviewing about this popular movie. And Marielle is a mother, and she was rewatching some of the Mister Re- Mister Rogers episode with her preschool-aged son, and she recalls it's really a beautiful story. One day, her she lets her son pick out the episode. You know, it comes up on the screen, and he sees the little box, and the box has a fish in it. So he likes fish, so he picks the box for the fish. But she knows something. In this episode, the fish dies. So re- she reluctantly presses play. Mr. Rogers comes to the fish bowl, and the fish is dead. He tries to revive the fish. He tries to... Splash the water, and it looks like it's wiggling, but, you know, it's not. And then Mr. Rogers tells a story. He buries the fish, and then he tells a story about the time his dog died when he was a kid. So Mr. Rogers is there very kindly just saying, you know, this fish is dead. We're going to bury it. And then he tells a story. When I was a kid, my dog died. And Marielle's son is watching this. And she, he turns and looks at her, this little three- or four-year-old son, skeptically. Mom, <laughs> dogs don't die. Mariel then had to look at her son and say, well, dogs do die, even cats. And they have two cats. With panic, she describes, cats die, but we have great cats, Mom. They sat quietly for the next few moments. She just watched her son processing this new information. Then he finally looks up at her and says this. What do you think he's going to say? Do walruses die? (laughs) Walruses die. And this is her quote. He started wailing. It was as if he was weeping for all of creation. Oh, what a powerful quote. It's, it's like, this isn't right. Something's happened that shouldn't happen. A little three or four-year-old kid, he understands this isn't the right way for it to work. Later that night, as she was putting her son to bed, he looked up at her and asked the question that we would all dread. Mom, what about people? People don't get dead, do they? And they had their second round of weeping that night. As she explained to her son, people die. See, we're all hunted down. We're all haunted by this Death, and Jesus stands in this world haunted world, this hunted world, and he holds out hope to a four year old or a ninety four year old and says you don 't have to taste death yes we 're going to physically pass through death, but you 're never really going to have to taste it because you 're always going to be connected to Jesus, the one who conquered death himself, and so just like he graciously holds out great grace to anyone he graciously holds out hope anyone anyone here right now you can be sure that yes you're going to pass through but you'll never die you'll you'll say i never died because i've always known jesus which brings us back to our final point and back to the top of this high mountain this thin air where Jesus concludes the conversation about himself. He says, This, your father Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And a lot of commentators are how Jesus how Abraham would have seen Jesus' day, maybe at the near death of his own son. We don't we're not sure. So Jews, the Jews said to him, You're not 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. Truly, truly I say to you. Before Abraham was, I am, I am. Before Abraham, before your father 2,000 years ago, I am. It's a stunning statement. It's, a, it's another hyperlink back to Exodus 3 that we read. I am, the, the Hebrew word Yahweh that we say, it's the closest thing to saying God's name. It's an expression of who he is. He's eternally present. And Jesus looks at this crowd and says, it's not that I was or I will be. I I am. I am uncaused. I am self-existent. I am outside of time and creation. I, I do not exist. I am existence. I can't be defined. I can't be determined by any other reference point. The only reference point I can have is a reference point to myself because I am eternal. I'm Jesus Christ. I'm standing here in front of you. Do you believe? And if you do, you can have hope. They pick up stones, as some of us have. We just don't want somebody defining our own reality or our own identity. Well, Jesus' beginning is important. But what he wants these people to think about is not just his his beginning, but their end. Death is coming towards them all. And he's saying, yes, it's important you know who I am because that's going to affect your end. And I'm worried about your end. I want you your end to be with me. The Apostle Paul writes this. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. See, the first trumpet is the trumpet you have hanging on your tree, probably. An angel that's blowing a trumpet to say, rejoice, the king has come. Now, it's the last trumpet. It's the last trumpet that's closing down this timeline. The last trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. So today we live between two trumpets, let's say. The first trumpet has sounded. The king, the king has come. He's holding out, graciously holding out hope to the worst of people. To come and never taste death. And the question that I want to consider today, but at least for the next few seconds, is when the last trumpet sounds... Where will you be? So listen to this and then I'll pray for us. Is going to be a trumpet. At that point, all decisions are solidified. The last name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. But we stand between two trumpets, Lord. Would you cause us to drop our stones? To drop trying to be right, to drop trying to define reality, to drop, stop trying to define ourselves and drop to our knees and say, you are, you're the king. So that our souls are prepared to live forever with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.